You'd open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 16. We resume our occasional and ongoing series following Jesus, and we are following Jesus from the beginning of the Gospels all the way to the end of the Gospels for a decade now. We've been in this study, um, and here we are with following Jesus, John chapter 16, verses 16 through 33, and we are getting closer to the cross for Christ. We'll be in this series for oh, about the next two months, and then, as I said last week, uh, we'll come and have a special short series on the Lord's Supper right before leading up to Easter time for us and an observation of the Lord's Supper as a church body on Palm Sunday morning, so we look forward to that. But as we draw our attention back to John chapter 16 and think about the series of events that had led to this moment... When Jesus is going to teach here in verses 16 through 33, it's not taken, or or we shouldn't take it out of context. We need to put ourselves back there. We need to remember that Judas had privately agreed that he was going to betray Jesus, and the other guys didn't know that yet. They entered together to celebrate the Passover meal, which we know as the Last Supper, and we commemorate with our Lord's Supper, but for them as Jewish men and Gentiles who were as part of that, they were celebrating the Passover meal and Jesus was uh, teaching them along the way of the new meaning of these elements. Then there's that point in which Jesus washes their feet. And Jesus had done many revolutionary or kind of upside down sort of things that they didn't understand throughout the years they had spent with him. But here it is again, a moment in which, although it's beautiful, it's probably a little confusing and disconcerting. Then there's Peter's denial or the prediction of Peter's denial. Again, you know, Peter is, I'm not going to do that. And then all these kind of things. And then Jesus begins to teach here. He's going to teach them about the way to the Father, about the Holy Spirit, about the vine and the branches, and about the world's hatred of them. Some of these things they might have understood by a certain amount. Others, they were going, this doesn't quite make sense to us yet, Lord. So you're in the midst of these questions and confusion and misunderstanding. And so setting that sort of scene, let's read together. John chapter 16, verses 16 through 33. And if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's word, would you do so? John chapter 16, verse 16 through 33, and I'm reading the NIV. In a little while you will see me no more, and then, after a little while, you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you'll see me no more, and then, after a little while, you will see me? And because I'm going to the Father, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Verse 19, Jesus saw they wanted to ask him about this, and so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a while you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when the baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I see I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. 
In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Verse 25. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but I will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Verse 29. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Now, or excuse me, then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. God, our Father, we open your word, and like every Sunday, there's parts of this that probably make sense to us at first reading, and there are other parts of it that we scratch our head, and we have some ideas, but we're not quite sure. And so it's our prayer that through uh, our, our study and through your Holy Spirit, we'd come to clearly understand what your word says to us this morning and apply it to our lives, that we too might be changed and made different. Father, would you move us to faith and obedience today, we pray? And as we consider this idea of moving from anxiety to peace, would you bring that sort of peace in our lives? We ask that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So we tried to set the scene a few moments ago of what happened right before Jesus says this. But think about what happens right after Jesus says this. Right after Jesus says this, the disciples are going to be up all night. And I don't know about you, but when I'm up all night, even though when I normally sleep, I don't get hungry and wake up in the middle of the night. You know, granted, when I wake up at six in the morning or so, I'm hungry. But, you know, at two in the morning, I don't think I'm hungry. But somehow, if I stay up all night, I feel hungry. Maybe because I'm burning more calories or whatever else. And so, uh, you know, then here they go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. So they're going outside the Jerusalem walls and the safety and protection there by night, going down through the valley and up the other side to Gethsemane. And, uh, you know, they're taking this hike in the middle of the night. Heaven knows they might have stubbed your toes or had other people go, what are you guys up to? And this anxiety they might have had even about that. And Jesus prays in agony in the garden. And, of course, they're looking at him going, all right, man, we're not quite sure why you're praying like this. But then there's... Him, his betrayal by Judas, and the angry mob, and then the scene in which Peter lops the dude's ear off, and Jesus puts it back on. Then Jesus is carried away, and then there's Peter's denial, and the kangaroo courts, and the beatings, and the Via Dolorosa. 
and the cross. The savagery of Golgotha. And Jesus can foresee that these things are about to happen. And he says to his disciples here, what was verse 33? It's our scripture memory verse of the month. He says to his disciples, I've told you these things. Let's read it together. John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. So Jesus knew the confusion that they were at at that very moment. He knew that they were going to be even more confused, anxious, and fearful even for their lives in the hours ahead. And he stops in the middle of this and he says, here's what's happening, but here's a promise for you that you're going to have peace. Even though you will have trouble, not that you might have trouble, but you will have trouble. You're going to have peace. So let's begin our exposition of the scriptures here with our first point on our outline, and that's when I am anxious. John 16, chapter 16, verse 16 and 18. And you remember what it said here. He says, in a little while, you'll see me no more. And after a little while, you'll see me. So Jesus makes a statement that we on the other side of the cross, knowing the rest of what the gospels say, we go, oh, yeah. He's going to die and he's going to be buried, but then he's going to appear to them again. Good job, Jesus. But they didn't know that was happening. They didn't know that he was going to come back. And so when he makes a statement, you're not going to see me, then you will see me, they're kind of scratching their heads going, all right, it's Jesus saying one of these confusing things again we don't understand. Man, I love this guy. You know, he can do miracles. He speaks with power. He's really nice to people too. And granted, he does confront some people and we kind of like that too. But he says some confusing stuff. For some of us, anxiety is a daily state of being. I mean, it literally may be that you deal with anxiety. That, you know, your family practice doctor or your internist or whoever has diagnosed you because they know the proper things to say. If you've got this, you got this, you got this, you've got some sort of anxiety. For some of us, anxious is just something that happens occasionally. But every person that ever lives, if you think about it, you deal at one time or another with some sort of anxiety. And that anxiety, you know, lapses over with uh, questions, with confusion, maybe even with fear, with not knowing what's going to happen or how it's going to happen. And all these things go together and it can uh, bundle up with depression then. And it can be terrible and debilitating. And for you, if you've dealt with something like that, then... I would definitely say you need to talk to somebody, a medical professional. And it may be that you need to talk to a counselor. It may be that you need to take some medicine. And those things are all good. God provided those things for us because anxiety is real. And an anxiety disorder that I'm alluding to is very real as well. Now, I'm not saying the disciples here have any sort of anxiety disorder. I'm just spurring from the idea of that they had questions and the tense of the Greek verb is that they kept asking questions. And they kept asking them emphatically and continually. And it says to me that they were worried. They didn't know. Jesus, what does this mean? What does this mean? And they kept asking and they kept asking. A symptom of being anxious. And so I'm just saying from the disciples being anxious, there's something for us to learn here too. Because no matter who you are, 
No matter what your personality type, no matter what you do, no matter your age, no matter your job, at one time or another, you are going to have reason to be anxious. It depends on the thing. It depends on the day. It depends on how you're feeling, maybe. But you're going to be anxious. And so all of us can learn something here. Yeah, occasional anxiety is a normal part of life. The National Institute of Health says, it says you might feel anxious when faced with a problem at work, before taking a test, or even making an important decision. But anxiety disorders involve more than temporary worry or fear. For a person with an anxiety disorder, the anxiety does not go away and can get worse over time. The feelings can interfere with daily activities such as job performance, school, work, and relationships. And there are several different types of anxiety disorders. Generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, social anxiety disorder. Again, you need to talk to a doctor, a medical professional, a counselor. If you feel like that anxiety disorder is something you might be struggling with. But what I'm speaking about here is this idea that all of us are going to struggle with some sort of anxiousness. And so the disciples have these questions. They kept asking. That's that emphatic, repeated What does he mean in a little while? We don't understand. So let's look at your application question there for your first point. And that's, how do I respond to these emotions? For you in general, how do you respond? Some of us just shrug them off and act like they're not real. You know, kind of like emotions to us or to you might be like water off a duck's back. You're not really an emotional person. You don't tend to get fearful, worried, or anxious. Others of us, questions like this that we can't have answers to um, really bother us. And they can send us down a deep, dark hole of fear that can lead to depression and can, in fact, lead to, you know, some sort of something like an anxiety disorder. But in my life, what do we do? Now, here's the great thing about this passage of Scripture. And as I titled the sermon, From Anxiety to Peace. Jesus doesn't leave them here. There's this interesting exchange that happens between Jesus and the disciples about, uh, you know, in a little while and not a little while, you're going to see me, you're not going to see me, and then back and forth. You heard that when I read it. But it's what's under the surface that we're going to try to pay attention to here. And that's the second point on your outline. The second point is that Jesus gives joy. So in the midst of anxiety or anxiousness, Jesus can give me joy. Now, if you struggle with some sort of anxiety, particularly an ongoing anxiety disorder, you're like, yeah. I wish. I wish there was a pill for that. I wish it worked that easy. And I'm going to admit to you, it's not always that easy, but look at what the Scripture says. So Jesus says in verse 19, it says, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this and said to them... Now, you know, Bible translations are just that. They're translations. They're translated generally by a committee of scholars who know Bible words, and, you know, at certain Bible words, they probably have a vote. How many of you believe it means this? How many of you believe it means that? Well, what I would submit to you here is in verse 19, where it says, Jesus saw in the NIV, they got that one wrong. The best understanding of that word in Greek is knew, that Jesus knew what they were thinking. It's the same word is used when Jesus knew what was in a man's heart. It is a recognition of something, not a physical seeing, but a knowledge. So Jesus knew. Your Bible translation might say Jesus knew. Mine, the NIV 84, says Jesus saw. But my point is this, that Jesus, without hearing their questions, maybe he saw them across the room and they were going back and forth and he could see by their nonverbal that they had some emotions going on. There was some anxiety, but he knew. 
And then he says to them, are you asking one another what I meant? And they're like, "Uh, yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. In verse 20, I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Okay, so Jesus, you're kind of talking to us in riddles again, dude. Um, You didn't really answer our question. And now you're telling us we're going to not just have questions, but we're going to weep and mourn. You're like taking it one step worse, Jesus. Come on, man. And then you say with this curveball ending, but our grief will turn to joy. What is up? Then he uses an analogy, verse 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when the baby's born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy. That child is born into the world. Now, I don't have a lot of experience with that. I have three kids. Obviously, I did not bear them. I just observed. And let me tell you, when Seth was born as our firstborn child, obviously there was pain. It was natural. And uh, it was terrible to see my wife, who I love, go through that and feel like I had a little part in that. Okay, that wasn't funny. Sorry. Um. <laughs> But here's the best part. Moments after Seth was born, Melanie says to me, I want to call my mama. Her mama was in Louisiana, and we're in Fort Worth, Texas. And I dialed up the phone and held it up to Melanie, and Melanie started talking to her mama and said the baby was born or something like that. And her mama said, that baby wasn't just born. You don't sound like you just had a baby. And I'll never forget that. Melanie was filled with such joy. That even though there was physical pain, even her own mama didn't think that she had just had a baby. Think about that analogy. Don't think about me being creepy about that. But think about that analogy Jesus just used there. That even in the worst of times, when you have anxiety, when you have fear, when you have grief, when you have sorrow, that Jesus promises joy. And you will rejoice. Again, in the Greek, that's emphatic. He's saying there's no doubt that you'll rejoice. I can promise you, you will rejoice. This is Jesus talking, friends. God's one and only Son saying to His followers, you're going to have to rejoice. In that day, verse 23, I will no longer ask you anything. I will tell you my Father, and He will give you whatever you ask in my name. So there's this promise that when we pray in Jesus' name, according to His character, according to His purposes, He's going to give us what we need. Verse 24, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. You see, there it is again. Jesus says to us, in the midst of your anxiety, in the midst of your fear, in the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your grief, all these negative things, I'm going to give you joy out of those things. Now, I don't know about you, if you're feeling anxious, fearful, sorrowful, or grief, or maybe that's your current life circumstance, you're probably sitting here like this right now. Yeah, Jesus says that in the Bible, but that's not my reality. It happened in the Bible. It can still happen in your life. God's Word is always true. God still loves you as His follower. Jesus was talking about the fact that He was going to die and be raised from the dead in order that He might give you to life. It's still the truth, friends. Let's look at your application question on Jesus gives joy. That application question there asks, 
What should I ask of God? Jesus says to us, you've not asked for me in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. When you're struggling with something, when it's not going your way, here's a question to ask yourself. Have I asked God to change it? Have I asked God to change me in the midst of it? Think about that. When you have a problem or an issue, there's multiple ways to pray about that. You can ask God to change the other persons or the circumstances. You can ask God to change your response to the circumstances or the person. You can ask God to relieve or remove the thing that's causing your emotional reaction, your fear, your sorrow, your grief. Or you can ask God to change your fear, your sorrow, your anxiety, your grief to joy, to faith, to hope, to peace. This scripture teaches us that in the midst of the worst of life, God will bring joy and God will answer our prayers. And friends, I believe it's true. And I know some of you have seen it true in your life, and some of you are in situations in your life right now where you're going, I need to see it true, Pastor Aaron. So my encouragement to you, dear friends, is pray, ask, have faith, have courage, and ask God to do what Jesus says he'll do right here. And that is answer your prayers according to his name for your good and blessing. Let's go on. Because when... You take that second step and you realize that Jesus is the one that gives joy. It's not by your circumstances you're going to find joy. It's not by how you remove yourself from it or change it that you're going to find joy. But that real joy comes from Jesus. Look at what happens and that's number, well, it's not number three, but the third major point in your outline. And that's that you grow in faith. Isn't that interesting? That when you turn to God in the most difficult circumstances of your life, when you're anxious, when you're fearful, when you're sorrowful, when you're in grief, and you ask Him to change the circumstances or to change you, that the result is that you are going to grow in faith. Look at verse 25. Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but tell you plainly about my Father. So it's Jesus talking, right? He admits to them, I haven't told you everything straight up. And he did that for reasons. You know, he didn't want to freak them out too much. And he knew that the Holy Spirit would come later and help connect all the dots between these things, just like he does for you and I today. Verse 26, in that day, so that's the day when he's not speaking figuratively anymore. But it also might be an allusion to in that day, the day in which the Holy Spirit comes. You will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. What he's saying here is, you don't need me anymore. When I'm here, the fact that I'm going away is good for you because when I go away, I'm going to give the Holy Spirit to you. Because when I'm here physically, there's only one me. And only one me can pray for any one of you at any given time. But the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, can speak to all believers at all time and intercede for all believers all the time. He's like, this is going to be a whole nother level, guys. You don't understand this yet. He's talked to them some about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16 as we have it. And he's coming back there again to say, there's some things that you don't understand yet. You can't understand yet, but trust me, it's coming. Now look at verse 27. Know the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed 
that I came from God. What a picture of assurance that Jesus, God in flesh, says that God loves you because you loved me and you believed in me. Verse 28. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. So he's speaking clearly for sure here. Whereas before he said, I'm going away and I'm coming back. Now he says to them, I'm going to the Father. They still might not truly understand what I'm going to the Father means. They're going to shortly, but he's speaking more clearly. Then verse 29. Then Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and we don't need to ask anyone else your questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Now when I read that, somebody chuckled and that was good. You're like, these guys are just now believing? Frankly, I didn't think to look up the tense of that Greek verb there. Did it mean they, it was past tense, they believed in? Perfect tense, it, they believed in the past, but it's ongoing. I, I probably need to look that up. Forgive me for not doing that in my study. But one way or the other, it's like, duh, you're just now getting it. But again, keep in mind, we've got the rest of the Bible. We have an advantage they didn't have. So don't judge them too harshly when they say, it makes us believe now. Think about circumstances in your life, perchance, in which you know God should take care of you, but everything about the circumstance, you're like, God can't come through in this. I'm going to have to do this on my own, and you're worried, and you're fearful, and you don't know, and you can't see, and you don't understand, and you have minutes to wonder, is God going to do this? And it challenges your faith. But look at my question here. What increases my trust? I use the word trust to be different from faith, but trust to me is an active component of faith. Faith is a verb. It's something you do, but trust is the way we exercise it, maybe. It's not just saying, I trust in you, but it's putting your trust in you. Acting on your trust. Acting on your faith. Think about Romans 5. 1 through 2, you might write that reference down. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, obviously, by the way I read that, I emphasized certain words I wanted you to pay attention to. That we've been justified through faith, and we've gained access by faith into this grace by which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. You see how these things are chained together. It is in our faith in God, even though we're still in the circumstance that makes us anxious, makes us fearful, makes us sorrowful, gives us grief, that in the midst of this nasty circumstance, we can say, I have faith that God is going to do what He promises in His Word, and I can trust Him to do it. And because I have faith, In the grace in which He gives me, I have hope. You know that biblical word hope, you've heard me talk about it before. It's not the way that we use the word hope, like we say, oh, I hope the Huskers win today. No, the biblical word hope 
is just like we know that the sun is going to rise. It is sure and certain. It means absolute, positive, certain. And so when Jesus, or excuse me, the Apostle Paul there says that we're going to hope in the glory of God. It's not in my power. It's not in my circumstances. It's not in my mess, but it's in God's glory in the midst of my mess that I have hope. And that's why I can grow in faith. That's why I increase my trust. Let's move on to your fourth point here. And that's that Jesus creates peace. So we started our little progression of four points here with recognizing that the disciples were anxious. And then that second point, you know, seems to go, wait a second. Is this really the truth that Jesus gives joy in the midst of my circumstance that makes me anxious, fearful, sorrowful, or grief? And then I pointed out, as the Scripture does, that we grow in faith as a result of Jesus working in our circumstance. But then look at what happens because of that faith. That's the last three verses here. Jesus says, you believe at last. But a time is coming and has come, so that's good. He recognizes they believe. When you will be scattered. So he's telling them, okay, you got it for a minute, but you're about to mess up again. In just a few hours, some really nasty stuff's going to happen, and it's going to be confusing. And I'm going to get betrayed by one of our own dudes here that you might have, you know, heaven knows whether they always kind of went, I'm not sure about that Judas guy, or if they fully accepted him and trusted him or what, but one way or the other. Jesus knew what was going to go down, and he tells them, but a time is coming and is now come when you'll be scattered. And because Jesus was going to be crucified and there was this threat of persecution against him, they all ran. And each to your own home, you will leave me alone, yet I am not alone. My Father is with me. It's almost like Jesus reassuring himself that he will have peace here in the midst of his anxiety, fear, worry, grief, that he knows that God is with him and can give him joy and peace. Verse 33, our scripture memory verse for the month. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, I have had the habit for as many years as we've done the scripture verse of the month of trying to make that scripture verse come from one of the sermons I was going to preach in that month, just like this one does. But try to make it something that goes beyond that one circumstance that applies universally, just like this one does. I mean, think about this. How many of us need to memorize this? Probably all of us. That's why. Yeah, thank you. I see a few hands out there. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Our world is pretty peaceless, isn't it? I mean, everywhere you turn, there's noise and there's disagreement and there's pain and there's injustice and there's hopelessness. And I look at this world and I think, oh, my word. And I think about your lives and some of the things I know about you as your pastor and brother in Christ and the things you struggle with, with work and with relationships and with family and with medical diagnosis And even with things like anxiety or depression. 
And I want to go, come on, Jesus. I want to see some more of this hope. I want to see some more of this peace. I want to see you do some things that only you can do. Because as Jesus says there, in this world you will have trouble. It's guaranteed that we'll have trouble. Thank you, Jesus, for being honest. But take heart, he says. Take heart, he says. Why does he say take heart? The last phrase, I have overcome the world. Jesus creates peace with us because he is God's son and he is the conqueror and he will overcome anything in this world. If you're in John there and you go back just a page or two, maybe John 14, 27. In this same time around the table of the Passover, this same section of teaching, just, you know, two chapters earlier in recorded scripture, Jesus said to them in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Your question there asks, how do I deal with trouble? If you didn't write it down already, you need to write down John 14, 27. That's another one you might ought to memorize given your circumstances. Or certainly if you struggle with anxiety. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. It is natural. It is normal for our hearts to be troubled. But the question is. What do we do in response to that? And friends. If we just take one or two more minutes. Before you put away your outline. And think through this for just a second. And write a few more things down here. It's not on your outline, but you've got space. You can write it down, okay? Let's think through our progression. That Jesus talks about the fact that the disciples had a situation that brought them anxiety and fear. He talks about sorrow and grief. We all know we're going to face those sort of things. But in those circumstances, we have an opportunity then to have faith in God. And in our faith, we can exercise that faith by praying and asking God to change the circumstance or change my reaction to the circumstance or both. And when we pray that prayer and ask God to do those things, then He promises us joy and peace. Do you see that progression? That's what I want you to write down. That we start in anxiety, in worry, in fear, in grief, in sorrow. But we have an opportunity for faith. And when we pray in faith, actually pray and ask God to change the circumstances or change me or change both. Then he promises that we will have joy. And in his joy, we will have peace. Isn't that amazing? What a promise for us to invoke. What hope. For us to welcome. 
And so instead of dealing with trouble in our normal way, which would be to try to fix it ourselves or bow up against it or complain about it or get out on social media and say all sorts of things so people will go, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm not saying that's wrong for us to talk about our circumstances so our friends might give counsel, but the thing we probably don't do as easily is go to the Bible and go to prayer and turn to God in faith and ask Him to change the circumstances or change our reaction to the circumstances, or both. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. God, our Father... Yes, you don't have to live too long to see that we do have trouble in this world. And Jesus was telling the truth about that. But my prayer this morning is that you help us to see that Jesus is telling the truth about the rest of it too. That you will bring joy and peace in the midst of the trouble we face. Because you are sovereign God and you love us. So God, we thank you for the promises of your word. And we thank you that the Bible deals with every kind of circumstance, eventuality, and emotion that we might face. And that it gives us reassurance and hope that you're sovereign God. And you use even the worst of things to bring yourself glory and to make us more like Jesus. So God, we pray for the person here today who may have never trusted Christ as their Savior, that they would repent of their sins and profess their faith in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. We pray for the person who is a believer in Jesus but's never been baptized and needs to say today, I need to follow Jesus in believer's baptism. We pray for the person that needs to join our church family because... They're not connected, but now's the time to say, yes, I belong to this body and I want to belong more. And God, we pray for each of us as we struggle with anxiety, with fear, with sorrow, with grief, that in those things we would turn to you in faith and that you would answer by giving us joy and peace and hope in the midst of the circumstances, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.